This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. Good morning, good morning. It's good to see everybody. I am fired up to kind of feel campus buzzing a little bit. Not totally normal like it normally is this time of year, but but it, it, it's refreshing to see young people come back in and, and start to pursue that, even to have some today. So welcome with us. Uh, my name is Andrew, and uh, it's an honor to get to stand before you this morning and to just offer you the Word of God. Um, as we get started in that, I want to highlight a few things of kind of some places that we're heading. Uh, we're going to be talking through this month of August um, about how we live in our gospel identity uh, and what, we, what it looks like for us to do that, not just here corporately, but in like life on life and relationships and life in community relationships as we live collectively on mission with Jesus in the world. And so we, we do this thing called family groups. Some of you guys may have seen some of this language before. Um, you know, Kennedy, you'll have to tell your dad that I'm straight stealing it from what you guys do at the point. Um, you can kind of see a little bit of a triangle here with uh, like, a, like a navy color, a lighter blue color, and a, and a darker color, like maybe a dark navy color here. It looks a little different on the screen. But, but these three different pieces of this triangle are going to uh, showcase for us what it looks like for us to live in a gospel identity. And that identity is next, the next slide, is that um, we are always going to be people that are the family of God. We rightly understand God as Father. I mentioned this last week, that he invites us to, to see the family of God through a different lens, to be a servant of our King Jesus and to live on mission as a missionary, empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit in the everyday stuff of life. And we want to see that lived out most, not just in what we talk about here from the stage, but in how we do life together outside of here. And so next Sunday, right after church, like 12th, right after our, this gathering, at 1230, um, for, for hopefully no more than what is an hour and a half, somewhere between an hour and an hour and a half, if you are involved in one of our family groups, if you lead one of our family groups, or if you want to be involved in one of our family groups, we would invite you to, to show up as, as we kind of unpack this. Now, we're not changing things crazy, okay? What we're really doing is wanting to present just a unified outline and a unified vision of intentionality as we launch into life in community that seeks to be family on mission to serve Jesus in our world. Does that make sense? So we're not like saying you can't go to your family group anymore. We're not like pulling any chairs out from under you, any rugs out from under you here when you show up. Like we are just saying like we want to collectively want to take a moment to get on the same page. And we don't want to just divert, devote every sermon to that. We want to be faithful to exposit the truth of God on Sunday mornings uh, and in our gathering times. But we want, to, we want to come together and say, what's it look like for us to intentionally be family on mission with Jesus in the world? Fair enough? So next Sunday, 1230, please, if you're interested, join us. And listen, if you want to live stream, if you're like, I don't know if my kids can be out that long, live stream at home and come to that at 1230. We're, we're fine with that. Um, we want you just to be invited as, as we look to start to sow the seeds of intentionality when it comes to what it means to live as followers and disciples of Jesus who learn, worship, invest, and share Jesus' burden in the world, not just for the hour on Sundays, but for every hour of your week. Fair enough? Cool. 
Cool. Um, We're today going to be in Acts chapter 10 that Butch invited us into with his story. And he does such a good job with that. You guys, like, I love hearing him share the gospel and share the truth of the Bible in a way that um, just invites you into the narrative, invites you into the story. He does that with so many different stories. I don't even know how many he knows by memory through the scriptures. And then he, he is able, if you don't know kind of what he does, sometimes you see this like STS logo that he's wearing on a shirt or on a mask. He's a pretty branded guy, kind of all over the place, on a bag, on a backpack, on a whatever. This STS brand is where he gets to do that style of learning and invitation to the truth of God in cultures and across languages all over the planet. Now, right now, that's a little you know, a little like held back or stymied a little bit because of COVID and and travel and whatnot. Um, But he is able to offer that and even offer that live stream. So I just want you to know what one of your elders is doing, um, not just being a shepherd here, but also shepherding other people towards the truth of the gospel in the way that he orally can communicate the, the story of God that's not required in a, in a culture or in a, in a people group that might be literate or, you know, required literary usage. He can do it through story and through oral communication. So, Butch, thanks for sharing for that with us this, us this morning. So, Acts chapter 10, um, verses, we're going to be in 34 through 48. So, we're going to knock out the back half of Acts chapter 10 together as we look at the gospel identity of family. And so, stand with me, if you will, Acts 10 34 through 48, so read the word of the Lord this morning. It says this, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and sent him doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all he did, both in the country of the Jews and in the city of the Jews, Jerusalem, for they put him to death there by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still saying these things, The Holy Spirit fell on all who had heard the word and the believers from among the the circumcised or the Jews who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we just thank you for just uh, your truth this morning. We thank you of this invitation to invite us into uh, a new understanding of family. God, I pray that you give us wisdom today as we look at this text and wisdom as we look at its application to our lives. Um, Father, we pray for your second sermon, that your spirit speaks to our hearts, um, to be loud and clear and drowning out anything that I might have to say, that that's the thing we hear today is what your Holy Spirit invites us into in the truth of your word. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. 
So we're going to try to cover some ground pretty quickly today in this, in this passage here in Acts chapter 10. Um, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, especially in the book of Acts. And if you know anything about the book of Acts, uh, some Bibles, in, in fact, some of the older Bibles actually say the Acts of the Apostles. Like that's what the title of the book is. Now it gets reduced to just the word Acts many times for us. But you've got Luke, who's the author of the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament, one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he also wrote kind of two-part series. He wrote the life of Jesus and then the life after Jesus as those that followed him were empowered and equipped to be who Christ encouraged them or told them and commanded them to be in the world. And so this is one of my favorite stories housed in the book of Acts. And here's why. It's confidence in my own story. Now, to be clear, Butch mentioned earlier the vision of of, you know, all this, like, all-you-can-eat buffet coming down on, on this bed sheet over Peter, you know, on the roof of his house, and, and Cornelius seeing this vision of this happening too. Now, I haven't had a, a vision like that or made a journey like that in response to a dream to be saved, but here's what has happened. Had the gospel not been for the Gentiles, it wouldn't have been for me, and it wouldn't have been for you. Now, I'm not sure everyone's Ancestry.com here. I don't know if you've ever been, like, you know, fired up to try to figure that out. Uh, I did that one time. I found out that's one of the lessons you learn when you sign up for the free trial. And the next thing you know, you've paid like $30 the next month because you forgot to cancel. Anybody ever done that? I did that all the time. Okay. But hey, I knew my genealogy, right? Like I had all these photos of like my old, my great, great, great grandparents and, and great, you know, great, great aunts and uncles and all this stuff. But I'm fairly certain, I don't know everybody's ancestry profile, I am fairly certain that I'm not speaking to a room full of Jewish heritage people. Now, there might be a few that have some of that background in their story, um, but I'm fairly certain that the majority of the room would have been, from a biblical perspective, Gentile. If not Gentile, if, you, if there is some lineage in your ancestry of uh, someone that would have been a, from the Hebrew people or from a, from a Jewish background, there's probably even been intermarriage along the way with Gentiles. So, so we, I have really good news for us today. The gospel wasn't just for those that were of the household of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When Jacob, we talked about last week, the gospel came for the Gentiles too. It came for me. Now, something we need to get past, this is going to be the next slide we have up on the screen, is the word Gentile. We see it a lot in the Bible. Like, this is one of those words that you literally only talk about in church or Bible study. Like, I have never in my life, ever, heard someone use the word Gentile at Kroger, okay? Unless it's like an extra syllable, like far southern accent, and they're really saying gentle, Gentile. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe it's that. But that's about all. Like, you're never going to see this. And so we see it a lot, like, in our scriptures. We see it a lot in, in the translations that we read of the Bible. And if we're not careful, we will take that word Gentile and categorize it as just another one of those churchy words that we say at church or that the pastor says and you kind of nod along to because you don't know what else to do as you're sitting out there and it's like Gentile, okay? That seems to make sense. But I want to tell you that every time you see the word Gentile, in your black and white, or, or if it's when Jesus said it in red letters in your Bible, that you could, you could and probably should translate that word to nations. 
It's the word ethne, where we get ethnos, other nations. And so whenever it's talking about Gentile, it kind of, the, the translators now, they're way, way smarter than me, but I feel like they do us a disservice in the fact that, that it keeps kind of our perspective narrow that Gentile doesn't mean every nation. In fact, what the Gentile was, was every nation that's not distinctively Jewish. That's what it meant. And so when you see the authors in the scriptures use the word Gentile, they mean all other people. And so like last week we talked about Jacob and Israel. And so God changed Jacob's name to Israel, gave him a new name and a new walk. And he fulfilled the promise that was given to his grandfather, Abraham, who had his dad, Isaac, who who had Jacob, that God would grow a nation. And God grew a nation through the Old Testament, starting in Genesis 12, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you want to know how God grew that nation? He grew it by people having boatloads of kids. He grew it by procreation. Abraham had a son of a promise, Isaac. Isaac had Jacob and Esau. Jacob had 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. All these guys, this family lineage starts to break out. And the way that God grew his people was through procreation and reproduction of having kids within the family lineage. But that's why this story is good news for us. Because God doesn't grow his family by procreation or reproduction anymore. He grows it by adoption. He grows his family by adoption in the work of Jesus Christ. And what we see here is the adoption story of a person that was outside of the family of God as Peter and all the other apostles, followers of Jesus, disciples knew because the family of God belonged to the house of Abraham, to the Jewish people. And somebody shows up to Peter that says, I believe in the things of Jesus And Peter's like, whoa, whoa, how, how How can you do this? How does this make any sense? How can this be available to you? You're a Gentile. You're of the Italian cohort. You're a Roman guy. You're not from the household of God. How is this true? And all the while, can't you hear, like, I don't know, I picture like the rack of ribs or the bacon that Butch talked about with like a little mouth and googly eyes on it being like, I said it was clean. You know, that's kind of like my vision of this story. God's saying, if I say it's clean, it's clean. If I've created it for purpose, it has purpose. And the story that Peter learned here is a valuable one for us. And it's this, it's that God's family doesn't make sense. In fact, I would even maybe change a word that's on the screen and say God's family shouldn't make sense. It shouldn't make sense. If every part of the family of God can be explained through, oh, that's, that was my parents, and those are my parents' parents, and those are my parents' parents, and that's why we're a community, then we've missed the beauty and the point of the, the, the reach of the gospel over you know, lines of not just diversity, but sinfulness and, 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 and waywardness to draw us back home. God's family doesn't make sense, and God's family shouldn't make sense. In fact, as I read that story of Acts chapter 10, and we see Cornelius seek out Peter because he heard from him in a vision, as Butch shared with us, and Peter get the vision of, of all the food coming down onto the roof where, where he says, um, you know, God saying, what I've made clean, don't call unclean, don't call common. And we see these things match up, and then Peter goes on this journey back. This is the first part of Acts chapter 10 this journey back to Joppa to meet Cornelius. And one of the applications of that story that's true for us and true for us in our gospel identity is that God's always at work in the world. The Holy Spirit of God is always at work in the world. 
And we're invited to join him in that. And Peter gets to do that and see that what he's at work in actually confuses Peter. It actually confuses him. And and maybe this should be a lesson for us that sometimes the way God works in the world should confound us. In fact, he says that he uses the shameful, the the simple things to shame the wise. That he's going to work at a higher level of understanding. And Isaiah says his ways are higher. They're different than our ways. They shouldn't make sense. And so here's a question that I have to ask myself. Does my understanding of God's family make sense? Is it explainable culturally? Is it explainable relationally? Is it just because, you know, am I a Christian just because my dad was a pastor? Like, is that, you know, does my understanding of the gospel and of what the gospel gives us in God's family make sense? If it does all make perfect sense, if, if every relationship you have, it's like, well, of course you have those relationships. Why wouldn't you? These are the people that look like you, think like you, act like you, sing like you, shout like you, talk like you, eat like the same food as you. If it all makes sense, then maybe, maybe it doesn't resemble God's family enough. Think of the counterintuitive nature of Jesus. Who was invited to his banquets? People that make sense? No. No. People that don't make sense. They, they, he invited people that no one else wanted to invite. Who did he make sure was loved and served all the time? You know, I think of the story where, where he's sitting at the table and, and, and having a conversation and actually letting a lady that was a prostitute wash his feet with her hair. Like, who did he make sure was loved and valued? Was it just the person of the cloth that was sitting across from him that had invited him into his home? No, he was making sure that the least of these were loved and served. When he walked into an upper room just hours before he was going to be betrayed and arrested, who did he make sure was loved? The person who had the most enmity toward him got his feet washed just like Peter, James, and John, right? Who did he spend time with? Do you know what the big, like, what, what the big complaint is on Jesus? Is he spent too much time with who? Sinners. He spent too much time with wicked people. And they're like, this man can't be God. He's hanging out in all the wrong places. God would never do that. God would only hang out in the temple with the people that have it all together. God would never do that. And yet God in flesh spent his time where? At tax collector's houses? with sinners, with people that have shamed and profaned the name of the Lord. That's where he spent his time. Jesus came to establish a family that looked different than all of ours. Now I want to take a moment to address something in our present culture here. Our collective awareness is hopefully uh, raised in what it means our lives, in our lives personally, and as a faith community, have a greater intentionality towards diversity towards racial reconciliation, racial harmony, Black Lives Matter. But I want to say something about all that stuff that we not sell the gospel short. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer of Jesus, then the goal can't stop at racial harmony and valued diversity in the nation of the United States. If you're a follower of Jesus, the goal has to be and to long for diversity in the kingdom of God. Okay? Not just in our citizenship here. Friends, you're, you're citizens of a greater nation. I, I know you pay taxes and vote, and, and I know you pay taxes, okay? Like, I know this stuff happens, right? Like, I, I just, tax day got moved up to July 15th from April 15th, which meant that the middle of the year was bad, right? Like, instead of the early part of the year. And I get it. Like, we feel like this is our present, greatest present reality, but I'm telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a foreign citizen here, You might have a passport and cast a vote, and and I love that you get to do that. 
but you belong to a different nation. Now, one way we can love our neighbors toward Jesus is to live and lead our life in a way that holds our gospel ethics. So things like that every person's created in the image of God. That every person, I heard an uh, old pastor tell me this once. Um, every person you meet is either somebody that Jesus lived in or somebody that Jesus died for. You can reduce it down to that. It doesn't come down to any other identifiers. They're either somebody that Christ lived in, lives in or there's somebody that Christ died for. I mean, in fact, everybody is somebody Christ died for. But you, you get the, what, what I'm saying here. Um, if we live with that understanding of a gospel ethic, that everybody has immense value, created in the image of God, that he's somebody, there's somebody that he lives in or that he died for, then, then what I would tell you is that you can live in a way that will steward and influence your time as a citizen in this foreign nation of the United States in, in a way that promotes what the family of God looks like. In fact, you can live and, and embrace and promote, and we should do that uh, about things that matter in our current culture. But if we don't do it all the way towards Jesus, we've missed it. You know, I think Martin Luther King said that the uh, moral arc of the universe will, will always bend, bend towards justice. I don't know if you know that quote or not. But the truth of the gospel, I heard this from a seminary professor of mine. It says the moral arc of the universe will actually always bend towards Jesus. It doesn't just bend, it doesn't stop short of Jesus and hit justice. That actually we don't know justice unless we know Jesus. Even if we are able to rightly acknowledge and recreate and rebuild every system and structure of sinfulness in our world, those structures don't produce sinless people. Only Jesus produces sinless people. So if we were to take tons of structures and tons of systems of the evils of racism and tear them down, and we should be for that, we should be for that as people that value a kingdom ethic, what promotes reconciled living is not getting brought through the conveyor belt of a redeemed structure. What promotes righteous living or births righteous living is being brought through a new life through a redeemer. Does that make sense? And if we don't love people all the way towards the redeemer, then our efforts to redemption will always fall short. We have to love people all the way to a redeemer. We should care about things in the world that undermine that because we're humans and because we're Christ followers and because we know the truth of the gospel. We should care, we should promote, we should embrace, and we should fight for justice. But let's not land at justice, let's land at Jesus. And so if we do that, that gets back to my point. That gets back to my initial point. If we love people all the way towards Jesus, and watch his spirit grab hold of their lives and hearts, then our family not just better look different, it will look different. Our family will look different if we love people all the way towards Jesus because his family has always looked different and it should. And I pray, we pray, our elders pray that God grants us a family that looks like the family of Jesus. We don't want to check boxes of diversity to check boxes of diversity. We want to have valued members in our community that look like the family Jesus would have if he was on our, our planet and he was with us, right? Now, let me give you some Bible to that and not just like Andrew talk time, okay? In Acts chapter 10, 36, which was a part of what we read, it said that as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace, through Jesus Christ, where he is Lord of all. You see that part that we read earlier in Acts chapter 10? Now, I want you to know where that kind of connects scripturally. 
In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16, Paul is writing to Gentile believers in Ephesus. And what he's writing to them about um, is starting to, to know with clarity and with certainty the truth of the gospel. It's where we get those verses like, um, you know, it's, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. Not, not, a, not a, something that you've earned, but a gift from God so that no man can boast. It's where some of those classic scriptures are held. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, it says this, Remember that you were, this is talking to Gentiles, this is talking to other nations, this is talking to other races, this is talking to other backgrounds. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of the people of God, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now Gentiles, other nations, in Jesus Christ, you who were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. As Acts chapter 10 said, peace through Jesus. He himself is our peace and he has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might, and this is the part I want to focus on, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. Now the two men that Paul is talking about is Jew and Gentile. So it's Jew and other, right? And he's saying the gospel of Jesus actually says there was once Jew and there was once Gentile. And the gospel says there's now a new person that exists and not just those distinctions. Does that make sense? This is what God's family is going to look like. In fact, the word new that he reads there is kainos, and it means unprecedented. So think of it this way. Uh, I need a new iPhone, right? I need one. Like my battery is down to like 78%. I check this stuff all the time on battery health. I'm like, why does it lose charge so quickly? You know, this was the, the iPhone 10 when it first came out. And I've already been watching, man, when does those 12s come out? Like when do those iPhone 12s come out? I want to read the reviews on them. And, and we might be talking about like a new, like, oh, I need a new iPhone. And what I really mean, I don't know that I need a new iPhone. Okay, so judge me a little later. I want maybe a new iPhone. When I say new iPhone, what I mean is a new model of an iPhone, right? Does that make sense? I need a new iPhone. What I'm saying really is I want a new model of a current existing piece of technology, a smartphone made by Apple. When Paul says new man here, kainos, he doesn't mean new iPhone model. He means Alexander Graham Bell inventing the phone. Does that make sense? That's what this word means. It is unprecedented. What Paul is saying happens when the gospel gets a hold of people. It's it's not a family that includes black and white or brown or any other background. It's saying it's a whole new thing. There is not two men anymore. There's only one man, and it's one man through Christ Jesus making peace with anything that had been hostile beforehand. That's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. That's what's saying, I don't want to just live in redemption. I want to live in light of a redeemer. And what the redeemer says is that we are no longer bound by the understandings of of an earthly lens. We get to see ourselves through a heavenly lens. Now, does that mean that we need to throw away or discredit all the things that make us who we are and the cultures that produce that? No, by no means do we need to uninvite ourselves from, from celebrating those things that have made us who we are and made us how we live in the world and, and are ways that we can emotionally and, 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 and excitedly express who we are or, or, or who we've made to be or from what culture we've been produced. But let's not land short of that there is peace through Jesus. Acts chapter 10, Ephesians chapter 2, 
that gives us a new understanding of family. Not just a, oh, that's a family that looks cool. It's like a whole new thing. If we rightly understand the leadership and lordship of Jesus Christ and the gap he bridges to our Father, then the family of God will and should look like something the world has never seen before. And my prayer, our prayer, when we get here on Tuesdays at 6 a.m., right here, our prayer is that God expedite that. We want to be a family to this campus, to this city, to this world, at Commonwealth City Church, that looks like a family the world's never seen before. Now, some of you all might be fired up about that with me. I'm fired up about this. I want to be that kind of family. But family isn't something we go off and do. Now, you might be saying, Andrew, I'm ready. I want to be an encourager. I want to be a declarer of the family of God. I want to love people all the way towards Jesus. I'm all in. I'm putting my hand in. Ready? Three, two, one. Let's go. I'm all in. What I would tell you, it's going to be our final point today, is to slow down. Slow down. We too often jump to our doing. The lesson that Peter had to learn from his interaction with Cornelius and then watching as he preached, as we read in the scriptures, the spirit of God fall on all these Gentiles. What Peter had to learn is that family is less about what we do and more about who we are. Peter had to learn that what God was up to in Cornelius's life didn't leave to him as a redeemed Gentile. It made him a believer of Jesus, Christ follower. He got a new label. He got a new identity. He got a new, uh, a, a new kingdom that he was a part of. Peter wasn't a Jew that had learned the truth of the Messiah that had come to the redeem the Jews. Peter was a Christ follower, just like Cornelius, that there actually wasn't anything in them that was different. Even though their heritage said there were, there actually was something in them that was unifying, and that was their belief and the transforming work of the Spirit of God in their life. And so what he learns here is what we need to learn, that we often jump to our doing. But you know what our first step to understanding our gospel identity is? It's to understand what it means, not in what we do, but in who we are. First John chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, it says this. This is how God showed you his love among us. That he sent his son into the world that, if, that, that we might live through him. And this is one of my favorite verses in the scriptures, 410, 1 John 4.10. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Do you know how God makes you loving? It's not that he educates you in what love is. It's not that he quizzes you on it. It's not that he informs you on how to love. Do you want to know how God makes you loving? He loves you. That's how God makes you loving, is he loves you. In fact, Romans 5, 5, where it talks about um, faith and endurance and all this stuff, it says that the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Spirit of God. Do you want to know why it's poured into our hearts? Because if we are filled with the Spirit of God loving us to overflow, then loving the world won't be hard. It'll be the way we make a mess. We will make a mess towards loving people. You love people because you've been greatly loved. God loves you to make you loving to the world. Now, what does his, this is the part I want to really focus on as we close. What does his love love? Now listen to me today. What does his love love? My fear is that we agree that God is loving, but we don't believe that that applies to the depths of our life. We agree that God is loving, but in our heart of hearts, we think that he's only actually loving of like the photoshopped, upgraded, most improved, high def version of us. The kind that we dress up, put on, and, and, you know, get away from the places that we failed. We might be convinced that he loves that. 
But in our heart of hearts, I would say almost across the board, in not just the story of the Bible, but even our own story, we struggle to believe that he loves, actually delights in even the most ashamed, embarrassed parts of us. Now you might be saying, whoa, 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 whoa. God can't love sin. Well, if you believe in Jesus, he doesn't see your sin. That's the crazy part of the gospel. If you're in love with Jesus, then Colossians says that you're hidden in Christ. Like the only thing he can see, like imagine I used to have a kid in my youth group who was, I don't know if you've seen the Oceans movies where the little gymnast guy like gets in the duffel bag and gets like sent off on all the trains. We used to have a kid who would go to camp every year and um, he would get in a duffel bag. Like it was, his name was, his name was uh, Blake, um, Blake Walker. And Blake would get in a duffel bag and he would be zipped up from head to toe. And we would like tote him around to the worship center at Jonathan Creek and just unzip the duffel bag and Blake would get out. Okay, like this happened all the time. I don't know how he breathed. We probably didn't worry about that like we should have. Um, but that is the perfect analogy for me of like, when I walk in the room, like I'm, I'm actually being carried in in a Jesus-sized duffel bag. Like I, if, if 2 Corinthians is true that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become not the, oh, the sinful parts that God looks at. No, the righteousness of God. Like in him we become identifiably the righteousness of God. That is so mind-blowing about the truth of the gospel. That's what he says. That's what, that's what he loves. He is not embarrassed to love the most shameful, shocking, secretive parts of you or your story. He's not. Because Jesus took the fullness of the wrath of God, he's willing and able to love you well. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen like a, a story where someone's like in a jail or, or maybe gotten caught or, or picked up for something and somebody comes and bails them out. But if I were to take that analogy to my life, and envision myself enslaved or captive by the sin in my life, if I'm honest, I think I know God would bail me out. I just feel like he would scowl at me. <sighs> I can't believe you did this again. I can't believe you're back in here again. I can't, you did not, here, fine, it's $500. Here, come on out. We'll go home. We'll tell your mom. You know, like, that's kind of, I know, I know there's not, okay, don't. Don't let that analogy fall too far apart for me. You know, but like, I'm imagining, I kind of picture that demeanor of a God that would come bail me out of my sin that he's like, again, can't believe you did that again. When in, I don't know if you've ever seen the videos all over like Instagram of parents that watch their kids walk for the first time and they're like level 1000 pumped, like, oh my gosh. And this kid's like stumbling, like almost falling. And they're, you know, this, just this joy, you know, it's like Kurt joy, like all the time, every parent gets it, you know, just like walks in so much excitement. What if I told you the truth of believing in Jesus as your salvation is that when you are enslaved and held captive by the most heinous, wicked sin that you've fallen into again, when God bails you out, he looks like a parent inviting their kid to walk to him for the first time. He is delighted to see you. And do you want to know how I know that? Because Zephaniah 317 tells me so, that the Lord your God is with you in good and bad, and he is always mighty to save. He is always mighty to save. He doesn't, isn't just mighty to save when you want to be saved. He is mighty to save when you think you're the farthest thing deserving of his salvation. He is mighty to save. And not only that, he takes great delight in you. Pam shared this verse this week at a prayer meeting we were in. He rejoices over you with singing. He quiets you with his love. He rebukes 
the anxious, most I don't know if this is true or not attitudes that you could possibly have, he rebukes it with his love. Why? Because he's a good dad. And he is unlike any dad this world has ever seen. And he is unlike any father that we could even imagine or comprehend. He is a good dad and he invites us to be loved in a way that's transformative to who we are because we don't have a compartment for, I don't understand why you love me like that. And he says, I know you don't, which is why I sent Jesus to the cross so that I could. That's why I sent Jesus to the cross so that I could. This thing about God, I'm going to have this on the screen. This father's love for us is not dependent on your condition. It's dependent on his character. God loving you that way doesn't depend on your condition. It doesn't depend on your desire for that to happen. It doesn't depend on that. It depends on his character. In fact, I go back to this all the time. When he met with Moses the very first time on the side of the mountain, he shows up to the party and he says, I'm introducing myself as the gracious and compassionate one, slow to anger and always abounding in steadfast love. And every time you meet God, you know what's true of him. He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, so slow that he sent Jesus in your place and always abounding in steadfast love. So how do I love people all the way towards Jesus? I realize how I've been loved. Cornelius realized how he'd been loved. I don't know exactly how it happened. I don't know if it happened just because, you know, the end of a sermon. But but it said that the Lord appeared to him in a vision and did a transforming work in his life. And that was meaning that he was walking in a new identity and a new understanding and a new recognition. And for us to do that, we have to be loved and recognize the depths of the love that the Father went to us. In fact, it says this in Romans chapter 5. How do we know that God loved us? How do we know? He demonstrated it for us in this. That when we were still sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. So how do you love people all the way towards Jesus? How do we become that different kind of family? You realize how you've been loved. And you inspect how you see yourself as a part of the family of God in response to it. If there's any places that lack that, may they be revealed and met with the fullness of the gospel of Jesus. I'm going to ask some questions, but, but not, for, not on the screen yet, Trey. It'd be easy to ask questions like this as we close out. How has the Lord reminded you that he's a good father? That's an easy question we could ask. Or how is the family of God different than anything else the, the, of the world's view of family? Or, or how is, is the display of his family most visible to you? We could ask those questions. And in fact, we probably will ask those questions at some point. But for us to really get what we're shooting for today with this gospel identity, I'm going to leave you with these as we close out. And it's this right here. Trey, you can go ahead and put those up. Here's a good question for you to understand your familial standing in the family of God. This week, what action or attitude has produced the most shame in you? Just this week. The thing you're most embarrassed about, the thing you're most mad at yourself over, the thing you're most uh, uh, frustrated with. And let me be clear in some of the things I said earlier, God's love doesn't necessarily remove worldly consequence. Okay, like worldly consequence can happen in response to our sin, response to, to failing to meet requirements and expectations and, and, and ordinances that we live in. That can happen. But it doesn't have to have an eternal consequence like it once did. Does that make sense? So, so what, this week, what action or attitude has produced the most shame in you? What thing or things are you most embarrassed that you participated in or struggled with this week? Could be an attitude. Could be a mindset. Could be a relationship. Whatever. 
What has made you feel like a prodigal this week? Or that if dad was really in the know, he would just kick you out? Think about that one. What thing this week that if dad was really in the know, he would actually just tell you to get out of the house? Let's take that to the next level with these next ones here. How have you heard this father, father speak loving truth over that instead? That's what it means to be family. How have you heard the father speak to those places you're most ashamed, most embarrassed, most confident that if everybody knew, they'd really just ask you to leave? And if you haven't heard that, is there something you're believing that the truth of the gospel would love to obliterate in your life? I bet there is. If there's something that is keeping you from hearing what we preach today as an understanding of the Father's unbelievable love for you, for you. Can we remove that? Can this be a time of repentance where we say, I'm going to repent from believing that mindset and believe in the gospel of Jesus? And we hope so today. That's our prayer. Because getting this identity piece right, being part of God's family, being dearly loved sons and daughters, is the required step for having a body of believers on this planet that looks and acts and is put together differently than anything the world's ever seen. We will never be the family of God until we realize we are loved as his family first.